Welcome to the Free Chapel Podcast. Let's get into this week's message. Now, if you have your Bibles, if you'll take those and turn, if you will, please, to the 80th Psalm, Psalm 80. I'm going to read some selected passages there, beginning with verse 3. Now, just before I read, let me say to you something. This is going to be a very different message today. I, I appreciate always Pastor Franklin. He never says, okay, don't talk about this, or please go there, or don't do that. He always, he just says, sick them. <laughs> so after this message today, it may be <laughs> the last time he says that to me, but I, I just want you to know as we start, this is going to be a, a wee bit of an unusual message. Part of it may even seem to you like a civics lesson. And I, I know that seems odd in the context of worship, but it is one of the traditional responsibilities of the church is to be educational. And so I, I just want to give you a, a somewhat of a, what may seem like a civics lesson. But I'm doing that in order to frame commenting on the recent Supreme Court decisions. And then I'll be doing that to talk about what does it mean to be a repentant and penitent nation. Psalm chapter 80, beginning with verse 3. I'll read through 7, and then we'll switch, uh, shift on to verse 19. Turn us again, O God. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Please notice it's plural. This is the people of God crying out. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Thou feedest them with the bread of tears and givest them tears to drink in great measure. Thou makest us to strive unto our neighbors, and our enemies laugh at us. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. Verse 17. Let thy hand be upon the man of thy right hand, upon the son of man whom thou madest strong for thy self. Verse 18. So will, so will not we go back from there. Quicken us and we will call upon thy name. And here is verse 19. Turn us again, O God, God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Certainly, Psalm 80 means the Hebrew people. And we are not of that ilk that think the church has supplanted the Jewish people. But if we appropriate the prayer for ourselves and for our nation, and say, as they prayed... We pray. Put your hands on your Bible and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this moment together. We pray that your Holy Spirit will brush aside every barrier to communication. Come Holy Spirit, that when we leave here today, we will say one to another, surely the Lord has spoken unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. The United States of America was born in a vision. I don't mean a transcendent vision, the vision of people who came together and corporately dreamed a great dream of a new nation upon the face of the earth that would be unlike 
the monarchical and aristocracies of the governments of Europe. A nation where people could find upward mobility despite their station and birth. And where the rights of the people were protected by the government rather than impeded by the government. In fact, the vision was greater and purer than the people who dreamed it. We dare not lie to ourselves. The founders of this republic were great people, great men, great women. They were great, but their greatness doesn't mean they were perfect. Benjamin Franklin was a notorious skirt chaser. Thomas Jefferson was a slave owner. We know that they are not perfect. George Washington was a great man. I, I treasure his memory. I thank God. I've read multiple books about him. He was a great man. But George Washington did not die for our sins. We have to keep clear that we're talking about a nation, a republic, and that that republic is not fully consistent with the kingdom of God. We must have it clear in our minds. Otherwise, we can be idolatrous rather than simply patriotic. Some have erred too far the other way. They say any expression of patriotism in church is idolatrous. Nonsense. Why can't we honor the flag, honor the nation, honor our founders despite their sins and weaknesses, honor the nation despite its failures throughout the hundreds of years of its existence? Why can't we honor that and pray for it and implore God that his face would shine upon us and that we should be saved as a nation from our enemies? And why can't we do that in the context of worship? They wrote, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and that all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now think for a moment what it means. Beyond quibbling over whether men meant persons or all the modern uh, linguistic athletics we do now, what it really says is God is our creator. So the question is often bandied about, is the United States a Christian nation? It is not a Christian nation in the sense that Christianity is enshrined in law. It is not a Christian nation in the sense that one is required to be a Christian to hold an office or run for office or get a job or any other thing. So it's not a Christian nation in that sense. It's not a Christian nation in the sense that there is no prescribed religion, i.e., the Church of England. There's no such thing as the Church of America. But there is a greater and more profound sense in which Christianity is embedded in the founding documents of this country and that this country is in every way informed by Christian values, by biblical concepts of our relationship as persons with the God who created us endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. After the Constitution was completed, signed and approved, several of the founders, particularly James Madison, by the way, felt that there needed to be some things added quickly, amendments 
that, that needed to be tacked on as soon as possible. The Constitution was complete. The amendments would not change things in the Constitution. They would make some things clear. And what they wanted to make clear was the rights of the individual, the rights of the states, that it's not the government's job to run everything. So those 10 amendments, just quickly, one is the one that has caused so much trouble, the Establishment Clause. The Establishment Clause just simply says that the United States shall not establish a religion. That clause, as good as it is, that protects us from a government that could impose on us their religion or their lack of it was misinterpreted and misapplied by Supreme Court rulings that said that anything that happened in the context of some government-sponsored agency, for example, a school, was tantamount to establishing a religion. We just had a wonderful decision from the Supreme Court. Kennedy versus the Bremerton School District in the state of Washington. It was hugely important. A college football coach, just at the end of his games, would go out to the 50-yard line and kneel down and pray, and it freaked the school district out. Somehow or another, this put the blade to the throat of our entire republic. The case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And we thank God that the Supreme Court ruled in its majority that that is not the establishment of religion, that keeping that coach from praying is censorious and that it is repugnant to the character and nature of the, of the Constitution. We are free to pray. In the Establishment Clause, it also deals with freedom of speech, freedom of the press, Freedom to peacefully assemble. The word peacefully might, might want to remember that. We are free to petition the government. The Second Amendment is the right to keep and bear arms. What, where did it come from? If you remember uh, the famous midnight ride of Paul Revere, that the whole thing was that the, the, the British were coming to appropriate stored arms. They were coming to take arms that had been stored. And so the war, in a sense, began with an oppressive foreign government telling people in the colonies that only that government in England had the right to have guns. So the, the Second Amendment springs historically from that reality, and it is that people have the right to keep and bear arms. Third is the no quartering of soldiers in peacetime. That is to say the government can't just position soldiers in your house and say, feed them and house them. Fourth is unreasonable search and seizure. Both of those, both three and four, enthrone the reality of private property. Socialism is antagonistic to the Constitution of the United States because in the first 10 amendments is enthroned that people have a right to own things, and the government doesn't have the right to take it. The Fifth Amendment and the Sixth Amendment and the Seventh Amendment have to do with trial by jury, even at a federal level. 
The Eighth Amendment deals with cruel and unusual punishment. You have to remember at that time in England, uh, thieves had their hands cut off. They were drawn and quartered. They were hanged publicly. All these horrible, horrible medieval punishments that were still being done in Europe. And they said in this new nation, we're not going to do that kind of thing. The Ninth Amendment is often overlooked, but it is important. And that is to say the Ninth Amendment just says, okay, look, we've listed these, but that doesn't mean that's all the liberties that we have. There are some others, and we can't list them all. And the Tenth Amendment is important, and it says powers not delegated to the United States government revert to the states and to the people. So let's talk for just a moment. So let's talk about the second major and important Supreme Court ruling that has just now been done, Dobbs. So Dobbs reverses Roe v. Wade, the the decision that was made 49 years ago that said that decision, erroneous that it was, said that somehow in the Constitution and in these Ten Amendments, there lies somewhere in it some reference to abortion. And that based on the Constitution, that any woman anywhere, irrespective of her state's laws, has a right, a constitutional right to an abortion. And so for 49 years, that prevailed. No state had the right to write a law limiting or banning in any way abortion because it was ruled in 1973 by the Supreme Court at that time that it was a constitutional right. So it usurped the rights of the states to write their own laws, which is contrary to the 10th Amendment. So this year... The judges reversed that. But let's be clear on what they did and what they didn't do. The the new ruling of the Supreme Court does not make anything illegal. It doesn't make abortion illegal. If you've heard that, you've simply gotten misinformation. The Dobbs ruling does not make abortion illegal. It also doesn't make it legal. It isn't a moral decision. It isn't a Christian decision. It doesn't call abortion murder. It's none of those things. All it says is the previous decision in Roe v. Wade was a misunderstanding of the Constitution. There is nothing in the Constitution about abortion. So laws about that revert to the states. Each state has the right and the responsibility to pass laws relative to things like abortion. That's all that it says. But saying that's all it says doesn't mean that isn't huge. It means that for nearly 50 years, the American church largely has prayed and believed and petitioned and marched Oh, the years and years and years of marches for life all over the United States in cities and communities and in Washington itself for 49 years holding on to the horns of the altar and saying, Oh God, 
We ask you to turn this around. And in one Supreme Court decision, the right to make those decisions reverted to the states. What is all of this? Is therefore based upon a legal constitution that sprang from a decidedly and admittedly biblical worldview that God created people, that God made us, and that we, irrespective of race or birth order or whether our family were royalty or horse thieves, i.e., my ancestors. That each person stands before God equal. Now, that vision and that concept had to be worked out. As I said, the vision was better than the people who envisioned it. The dream was better than those who dreamed it. It was bigger than those who wrote it. Many of them had no idea of what they had done. And it had to be fleshed out. It had to be incarnated and sometimes at huge cost. At huge cost. That's one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the things that was decided in the Civil War at the cost of hundreds of thousands of American boys and men is that all men are created equal means all men and women are created equal. What I've described to you, the first 10 amendments later under in Lincoln's second term, the 13th amendment was passed, which said slavery is not mentioned in the constitution. So we're making it against the law. Involuntary servitude is against the law nationwide. Now it's in the constitution. Now, having said all that, Where do we stand in America today? So there's a great raging debate over American exceptionalism. Are we an exceptional country in some way? Are we different? I, I want to say to you, I believe in American exceptionalism. I believe the experiment as Lincoln described it at Gettysburg is an experiment to see if this can work on the earth. A government that's not by kings and royalty and imp emperors. Not where the government runs everything, but where the people run the government. A government of, of the people, by the people, for the people. I believe that is an exceptional vision. I believe that we have been exceptionally blessed our history is an exceptional story. Our republic is an exceptional form of government. But having said that America is exceptional, in no way implies that America is perfect. Before God, when all of the nations of the earth appear before the Lord for judgment, America will not be exceptional. There we will be judged as every other nation is judged. In Zephaniah, the third chapter, God describes 
his judgment on the nation of Ethiopia, saying that they are corrupted in all their doings. Jeremiah chapter 5 deals with the nation of Israel and its deceit, its wickedness, its greed, its mercilessness with the poor, and above all things, its false prophets. And worst of all, that the people like it that way. In Joel chapter 3, he says, the people will be judged because of what they do to children, that little boys will be made into harlots, and little girls will be sold for a bottle of wine. When we read these things, we must say to ourselves, something has slipped in America. There is something that's tilted. How can we, how can we believe for a moment that we will not answer to God for prepubescent children being mutilated in surgeries to change them from one sex to another before they are able to make such a decision. <laughs> Puberty blockers administered both with the graces of the parents and with the professional power of physicians. It's wickedness. It is wickedness. And I call upon every state legislature of every state to pass laws banning such wickedness. I thank God for the Dobbs decision. I thank God 49 years. I thank God. But having said that, there is a vast portion of this country that believes that a woman has a right, if not God-given, at least constitutional, to murder her unborn child with legal impunity. God have mercy on us. I call upon every state, every state legislature, to pass laws that if nothing else, at least limit the time frame in which an abortion can be performed. If you can't ban it, then at least limit it. At least be for God, not partial birth abortions. At least be for God, not laws that are being considered in California to have post-birth abortions. That is to say that for some period of hours or even days, that the mother and the doctor have the right to decide if a fully born baby should be killed. That is wickedness and it's murder. What do we say to these things? It is to say that we must walk that balance. On the one hand, I'm not ready and I don't think God is ready to give up on the United States of America. Have, have we sinned? We've sinned. 
And I'm, I'm not just trying to lift up sins that appeal to the peanut gallery here at Free Chapel. A sin's greed. is a sin. Mercilessness and uncaring toward the poor and toward orphans is a sin. Racial prejudice is a sin. Violence in the streets is a sin. Rioting is a sin. Politicians who take bribes, it's sinful. But having said that, somehow in our teaching that a sin is a sin, which is at some level true, we must also remember that there are some sins which are monstrous. Jesus said anybody that makes a little child stumble, who offends a little child, would be better off to have a millstone hung around their neck and be thrown into the depths of the ocean. If that is true, then if a nation legally allows its children to be molested and mutilated and that pedophiles are shielded by the government and the, and the celebrities of this country, then wouldn't it be better for a nation that it had a, a millstone hung around its neck and be thrown into the depths of the sea? God will hold us accountable. A nation must protect its babies, born and unborn. A little, a little girl who wants to play softball and is nine years old and a tomboy and says, I just think I'm a boy. Well, a nine-year-old girl has no more clue than a goose what she is. And we cannot empower her legally to make such a decision and then reinforce it with parental permission for her to be surgically corrected and to have her breast cut off before she is able to even reach puberty. My God, my God. In the Middle Ages, they found that prepubescent boys had a, an ability to sing at a certain level that even grown women couldn't. A contralto voice that came from a, from a pre-puberty boy. And it was so beautiful and so clear, Crystal. They made the decision that in order to preserve that voice, they would castrate the little boys. Those little boys were called in Italian castrato. And the castrato was a celebrity. He could sing in ways, and by the way, not just at the opera, in church, in church choirs. Those little boys were celebrated. They were rich. They signed huge contracts with the local opera companies. And their parents allowed their little boys to be mutilated for the sake of fame and fortune. You say, oh, that must have been a rare occurrence. At one point in the early 1700s, there were 5,000 boys a year being castrated. It's monstrous to think that parents would do that for the sake of money. The only thing I can think of that would be worse than that is that parents would do that to their children 
Not even for the sake of money, not even for financial gain, not even for celebrity, but simply to align themselves with the perverted wokeism of the 21st century. And remember, these surgeries are irreversible. It's a lifetime mutilation. And the self-loathing and depression and fear and loneliness that will result in those little lives, people will be held accountable for that. So on the one hand, I sing, God, bless America. Shine your light upon us again, according to the, to the psalm that we just read. Turn your face to us, cause us to turn our face to you. God, please, God bless America is not arrogant. That's not high-handed. That's a humble plea. God, please bless us. God, please bless us. It's the church. Somebody said you ought not to sing God bless America in church. I say there's hardly any song that's more needed in the 21st century than for the church to say, oh God, please. Please bless us again. Not because we deserve it, we know that we don't, but because we need it. America needs God. So what do we say to these things, to this terrifying balance? Do I love and cherish and celebrate my nation and its history despite the failings of its founders and the blots on its history? Or do I abandon it to the dustbin of history saying America is not worth saving? I say Proverbs 14:34 says, righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to the people. When America turns away from its sins and toward the righteousness of God, God will bless America again. Proverbs 29 and two says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the people mourn. If you think for one moment, I'm telling you who to vote for or endorsing candidates, you are, you are not listening to me. How many politicians tell us that they'll appoint this kind of judge or that kind of judge and politicians get in office and they know when they have lied to us. What I would say is this, for my part, I will vote for those who are most likely, hear what I'm saying, most likely, I will vote for those who are most likely to make decisions on the bench at the federal and at the Supreme Court level that are most likely to make decisions that will turn America back to righteousness. So I, I, don't, I don't want this to sound like gloom and doom on the 4th of July weekend. Let me close with this then. Listen to this. Can America be happy again? Can America be happy again? We know that we can be because Psalm 144 and verse 15 tells us, happy is the people whose God is the Lord. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. So it has to start with somebody. 
It has to start with us. It has to start with the body of Christ. It has to start at the house of God. We repent. We are sorry for our sins. Have mercy on us. Turn your face to us as we turn our face to you. Where we ask for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, where we ask for guidance, where we ask for God to turn us away from our sins. If the church should turn away from its sins, perhaps the momentum would shift the the nation as well. I, for one, I, I love America. I love our history as mottled as it is. I cherish the work of our founders who dreamed of something better than they had any idea it was. But I also believe in America's future. My prayer is, a simple prayer, is that the people of America would turn back to the God of America. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. Free Chapel can now be your home church no matter where you live with Free Chapel Online. Watch weekly messages from wherever you are with your family and friends, join online small groups, volunteer, and more. Plus, there's weekly content for youth and kids. Join today by downloading the Free Chapel app or head over to freechapel.org online. And a special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or on our website and app. God bless you and we'll see you next week.